The book of Matthew, 545 and 48. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called, Called to Perfection. This commandment is the inheritance of saints of all times, and the commandment is addressed by Christ strictly to his students. Therefore, people who do not acknowledge over themselves the authority of a person that is sent by God, but those who vote in a democratic form for their leaders have never had any part to the inheritance that is contained in this commandment, and it is doubtful that they will ever be able to. As it relates to fulfilling the required commandment to be vigilant over the word of God within your heart as God is vigilant over his spoken word within the temple of our body, and so here it's talking about this form of perfection because God is vigilant over his word only within the boundaries of our body. He, it's in the temple of our body, and that temple is us. And he is vigilant so that we can shine our sun upon the righteous and unrighteous and pour out our rains upon the just and unjust as he did in his word. Because he loves the righteous and hates the lawless, the wicked that hate his truth. <clears throat> We have been studying the question, what specific goals does the righteousness of God pursue that we are collaborating with within our heart? And in part, we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart received by us in the two broken tablets of the covenant where we in the death of the Lord Jesus died by the law for the law so that in the new tablets of the covenant symbolizing the resurrection of Christ we can receive justification so that we can live for the one that died for us and resurrected so that in this way we can obtain confirmation of our salvation in new tablets of the covenant symbolizing the resurrection of life so that we can provide God with the proper foundation to give us the promise to be heirs of peace, not by the former law, but by the righteousness of faith, similar to how he gave it, gave this promise to Abraham or his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, Romans 4.13. The promise is an oath promise of God. Therefore, the covenant of peace in the heart of a warrior in prayer is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God that is spoken by his delegated ones. God has passed on the mandate of his word to his students. First, it was the Son of God, and then the Son of God then said, As the Lord has sent me, I send you. The faith of God that where it says, Have God's faith, it is different it is fundamentally different from our human faith. God's faith is God's word that comes out of his mouth. Faith is from hearing the word of God. And who speaks this word? God's delegated ones. As Isaiah says, who has believed our report? And so faith is from hearing the word of God. And so God's faith is the general, 
It is God in His Word. He presents Himself, and our faith is obedience, strict obedience, immediate obedience to God's faith that is spoken by His delegated ones. And so by what signs do we examine ourselves that we that the peace of God rules within our heart, which identifies us as the sons of God and as the most holy. To examine your heart as to whether the peace of God rules in it is possible by the ability to be a peacemaker, which characterizes us as the sons of God, as it is written, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, Matthew 5, 9. In a particular format, we already looked at six of the signs, the consistency of which allows us to judge and examine ourselves as to whether we are the sons of peace and furthermore the sons of God. And we stopped to study uh, the sixth sign. We studied five and now we're studying the sixth. This is our ability to clothe our essence into the holy and selective love of God. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3, 14, 15. And so, in Scripture, the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in the light of seven unchanging virtues or components by the preached word spoken by the apostles and prophets that, in essence, are the unchanging virtues of God. These qualities are the characteristics of God Himself. This is how God's character is, virtue, because virtue is the good goodness of God, and, <clears throat> and so... If you remember, a gentleman had asked uh, Jesus, uh, "Good," he said, good teacher to him, and he said, why do you call me good? Because there is only one that is good. And so what he meant when he said this is that goodness comes from one, and that's God himself. And so they, this virtue, they, he, he represents this virtue in his word. Virtue, knowledge, self-control. Knowledge comes from virtue. The goodness of God has a surprising quality. It has knowledge. It's not uh, poor and 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 helpless. <clears throat> it's not as uh, you would say as someone that's as a kind work. Uh, so people may give as to a homeless person who uses it for drugs or alcohol or a professional homeless individual who uh, uses this uh, or does this sort of thing in order to make more money than you do a year and drives a Mercedes, but you don't even know about that. And so that is not good that it's referring, that, that it's talking about here. <clears throat> and so virtue as goodness and then knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Second Peter 1, 2 through 8. This is God's goodness in all of these <clears throat> that we are called to have. And if we don't change our character into God's character, then nothing that is an abomination uh, will enter heaven. And our character that is full of abomination will not be able to enter. In order to change our character, we need to cast off our old man with his deeds. And that's in the death of the Lord Jesus, die for our nation, the house of our Father, and for our corrupt desires that we clothe into this virtue, into evangelism, into practicing of spiritual gifts, into long prayers, in speaking in tongues and other things. 
but God needs one thing, that we bear fruit to Him, and this fruit will be in His character. In a specific format of the seven given characteristics, <clears throat> in the seven given characteristics of virtue that united identify the goodness of God within our heart, we have already studied five characteristics and have been studying the sixth. This is the calling to demonstrate in brotherly love the love of God agape. So that this brotherly love come from come from God's love agape. And so if it's in our heart, we in brotherly love can demonstrate it. The presence of this magnificent and honorable component in demonstrating our faith moves us from the state of literally moves us from the state of eternal death into the state of eternal life. And it's not important that we don't feel it. Faith is information, it's not what we feel, it's what we know. Here it says, we know, we know in whom we have believed, Paul says. And so he doesn't say we feel, we know. We know that we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 1 John 3, 14, 15. It's interesting, right, that you don't need to take a gun or a knife in your hand to kill or to murder. You just It's enough to hate your brother, and hate comes because of jealousy. Because things are more uh, successful uh, from your point of view. He, why the Lord receives his offering, why he has this kind of wife, why the, she has this kind of husband, children, and I don't have that. And we begin to become jealous, and jealousy turns to hatred. And this is a murder then. And we are, we've been born with this murder. Genetically, we've been born with him. This jealousy has been passed on to us, and it needs to be thrown out from our system. We need to die by the law for the law and the death of Jesus. Die for the house of our Father, for our nation, and for our destructive desires. Relevant to this as with the previous components of the virtue of God in His unique for us goodness, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith in seven components, we came to the necessity to study four classical questions. What do the scriptures say about the power of brotherly love that we are called to demonstrate in our faith in the essence of the love of God, which has been poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit that is given to us? What purpose is the power of brotherly love called to fulfill, which is testimony of the fact that the love of God has been poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit that is given to us? Third, what conditions do we need to fulfill so that we can receive the power to demonstrate brotherly love in our faith, the surprising brotherly love, which is testimony of the fact that the love of God has been poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit who is given to us, and by what signs do we examine ourselves as to whether we are demonstrating brotherly love in our faith, which is testimony of the fact that the love of God has been poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. In a specific format, we already studied the first two questions and stopped to study question three. What conditions do we need to fulfill so that we receive the power 
to demonstrate brotherly love in our faith, which is testimony of the fact that the love of God has been poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit that is given to us. Since six of the components of the condition for receiving the power to demonstrate brotherly love in our faith was already the subject of our study in the previous services, we will immediately turn our attention to the seventh component, and it consists in the ability to turn our heart to God's rebuke that is spoken by His delegated ones. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief co- uh, concourses. At the opening of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my word known to you. Proverbs one twenty through 23. And so God because of his rebuke, will then pour out from his spirit and will give us his words. A person doesn't like being corrected or rebuked. <clears throat> and so here, a person is called simple, but in the in the negative form, a scorner, a fool. According to the given proverb, the spirit of the Lord will be poured out upon those that turn their hearts to God's rebuke, spoken by the words of his delegated ones, which present the perfect love of God agape, which will give them power to demonstrate brotherly love in their faith. But the one that will turn his heart away from the rebuke of the Lord, spoken by his delegated ones, will perish, as he will not be able to demonstrate in his faith the power of the love of God in brotherly love. Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way, and he who hates correction will die. Proverbs 15.10 And so it turns out that a person that hates correction is one who turns away from the true path and goes not in the way of the Lord or the way that Christ walked, but upon his own personal path that he has thought of. A person that hates rebuke or correction is a person that turns away from the path of righteousness, who has his own personal understanding of the paths of righteousness that does not correspond to the path of righteousness that uh, presents the correction of the Lord spoken by the person who is clothed into the authority of the delegated fathership of God. In the given proverb, the verb rebuke when it comes to man who hates correction means expose, unmask, reproach, reveal, accuse, blame, won't allow to stand up to, to be bewildered, to perform judgment and to enforce punishment, a verdict to eternal damnation. This is the meaning of the word rebuke when it comes to a person who hates correction. Relevant to this, we need to study the nature of rebuke, looking at the words of the Lord, so that we can differentiate it from the nature of the words of the accuser that accuses us before God day and night. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell in them. 
Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Revelations 12, 7 through 12. To overcome the accuser within our body as well as in our church by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of testimony, and losing your soul in the death of the Lord Jesus, it is necessary to know and determine who or what institution of power, according to Scripture, is given the authority to correct us or to rebuke us. And can the Holy Spirit and prophecy of men that prophesied correct us? What nature do the words of correction from the Lord have? And what goal does God pursue in His correction for His children as well as for those who have abandoned the straight paths and have turned to rumors? By what criteria do we differentiate the correction of the Lord or or the Lord's rebuke spoken, spoken by God's delegated ones from the criticism that comes from men due to jealousy and ignorance who are not called to rebuke us? We need to immediately note that the correction of the Lord spoken by His delegated ones is fundamentally different from the criticism of the explosive by nature category of the carnal that are ignorant from the criticism of the category of teachers that were put into their position by the majority vote so that they can deceive the uncircumcised ear of those who elected them, from the criticism of those who in essence are scribes and Pharisees, who received a specific degree of theology, that amongst the nation of God do not possess the virtue of a Levite and want a role in the service of the Levites, because they have just... Uh, they have a degree that they, they've finished some sort of uh, institution or school. From the criticism of the category of the wicked and lawless men that have turned away from the truth, who present their criticism as a form of good work, producing turmoil and division in the nation of God. Considering that all of these forms of criticism combined are supported by unclean and accusing spirits of deception that impersonate the Holy Spirit and endow them with their influence and their power. All of these categories of men that defame the carriers of truth unanimously are not clothed into the virtue of students of Christ as they think that they have legitimate authority to judge and evaluate the corrections of the Lord that come from the mouth of His delegated ones. If we are not able to differentiate the criticism of men that have no authority to correct us from the corrections of the Lord spoken by God's people, we will have no opportunity to provide God with legitimate grounds to pour out His love into our heart so that we can receive power to demonstrate brotherly love in our faith. And if we won't do this, we won't have God's character, without which we won't, we won't be able to enter the kingdom of heaven without it. And consequently, we will lose our justification in the given to us salvation that was given to us in the format of guarantee, as we trusted more not in the correction of the Lord spoken by His people, but rather in the condemning us thoughts that are initiated and inspired by the above-listed categories, together with the wicked and accusatory spirit. We need to learn well and confidently that the legitimate institutions of power that are endowed with power of authority to correct us with the word of the Lord are first the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of the person that is clothed into the power authority of a delegated father of God and his helpers that work unitedly with him in one spirit I urged Titus and sent our brother with him did Titus take advantage of you did we not walk in the same spirit 
Did we not walk in the same steps? Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God and Christ, but we do all things beloved for your ed- for your edification. 2 Corinthians 12, 18, 19. When it's talking about correction or rebuke, when it comes to the nation of God, is one of them is edification. Second, the power of authority to correct us with the word of the Lord is our conscience that is, cl- that is cleansed from dead works with the faith teaching of Christ imprinted upon its tablets. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 10, 19 through 23. The conscience of a person is the delegated judge of God within the heart of a person that is placed by God to present his justice. We will remember that the conscience can judge us exclusively within the boundaries of the learned by us teaching of Christ that we have put into our conscience as a foundation of the given law of God. If we inaccurately understand the confessed by us faith teaching, or it is inaccurately being presented to us, then our conscience will correct us according to the inaccurate thought that she will perceive as truth in its final form. You know that many people, their conscience condemns them for things that scriptures don't consider sin and does not condemn them for things that are sin according to scripture. If that's not all, the accuser who accuses us before God day and night will blame us pretending to be either the voice of our conscience or the voice of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the voice of the conscience needs to always be tested for accuracy, how much it corresponds to the given law that is contained in the Word of God. And if our conscience corrects us and it's not according to the demands that are contained in the written Word of God, then we need to not listen to such a voice. This is the voice of the accuser that is pretending to be your conscience. The correction of the Lord when it comes to his children always has the good goal of exhorting and instructing to bring one to repentance and in this way to save and protect him from the accuser as well as from the true convictor himself who is God. For example, then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Then they said, Testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Not draw, but he was writing. He was writing something. Typically when you write, you're writing letters, you're writing something. Words. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Then Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, and he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? 
Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see what kind of correction the Lord has. This is John 8, 3 through 11. He says, I, I don't condemn you either. He identifies the sins, but he doesn't condemn. But they were condemning her. In this situation, the verb to convict, when it is talking about the scribes and Pharisees, it says that uh, they were convicted in, inside. Their conscience convicted them. The scribes and the Pharisees, in the original Greek language, means it's very interesting to expose, to reveal, rebuke, accuse, blame, right upon the dust. Their names. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water, Jeremiah 17, 13. The Lord bent down, as you remember, and wrote their names on the earth, on the ground. Not knowing their names, he received knowledge because they brought this woman who was caught in adultery, wanted to stone her. When the Lord wanted to save her, he wrote their names on the dust. When it comes to the woman that was caught in adultery, the verb condemn in the words of Christ, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more, in the original Greek language means instruction, exhortation, comfort, birth, justification. Applicable to the corrections that come from the Holy Spirit, we need to understand that they will never be addressed to the children of God even if the last ones will be falling into sins. First, because to correct the children of God, they have their conscience that is cleansed from dead works and the teaching of Christ that is imprinted upon the their clean conscience. Second, there are the corrections of the Lord in the mouth of the person that is endowed with the Holy Spirit, with the authority of the delegated fathership of God and His helpers. And so the Holy Spirit will never correct you, not me or you, when we sin. This, our conscience will, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, a person in these corrections, and a person will give you the ability, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, to become free from sin. Fourth question, by what signs can we examine ourselves as to whether we are demonstrating brotherly love in our faith? which is testimony of the fact that the love of God has been poured out into our heart by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Practically, these conditions that are the price that give us the opportunity and ability to love God and His Word, spoken by His delegated ones in the format of His commandments and statutes, are to be looked at as the signs by which we can examine ourselves as to whether the love of God agape is poured into our heart, which reveals itself in the power of brotherly love. First sign that we are demonstrating the power of brotherly love in our faith can be determined by our ability to judge the cause of the poor and needy upon the foundation of the law of righteousness. Shall you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Here it's talking about David that he ate and drank. The king of Israel. The prophet is correcting. Then it was, then it was well with him. 
Shall you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. But the, uh, the, the father, the, he himself didn't build his house. He sent, the king of Tyre sent his uh, masons and, and his builders and they built him a house. And David knew then that God has, had established himself as king. But this one built his own house of cedar. And so through the prophet Jeremiah, God says, Do you think you can reign because you enclose yourself in cedar? Here it's talking about the virtue of a king. Will you continue to be a king or not? You want that your kingdom be established because you have enclosed yourself with cedar. Did your father eat and drink? But he did justice and righteousness. Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Was not this knowing was not this knowing me, says the Lord, yet your eyes and your heart are for nothing but your covetousness for shedding innocent blood and practicing oppression and violence. Jeremiah twenty two, fifteen through seventeen. We need to know that only by obeying the law of God that is interpreted by the delegated of God are we able to know the law of God upon the basis of which we are called to demonstrate the power of the glorious brotherly love within our faith. According to the written words, we conclude that to demonstrate power of brotherly love in our faith and in this way demonstrate our love for the law, law of God, it is necessary to know God. We are not able to demonstrate love to God directly. He says, show it to me by showing it to my children. The law of God identifies the moral essence of God and the good goals of God that are directed exclusively to His children that we are able to apprehend exclusively by the preached word spoken by the mouth of His delegated one so we can have knowledge about who God is to us in Christ Jesus, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, and who we are to God in Christ Jesus, and what conditions do we need to fulfill so that we can inherit all that God has placed upon our account in Christ Jesus. According to the written words, we conclude that the symbol of the king who enclosed himself in cedar is the uncircumcised mind of man, upon whom, similar to Saul, lies a responsibility to perform the judgments and righteousness of God. The scriptures say that the Son of God, by washing our sins by his blood, has made us in Jesus Christ kings and priests to God, so that we can present the kingdom and priesthood of God and Father within our body as well as in those areas that we carry responsibility for before God. To Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood and has made us kings and priests to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelations 1, 5, 6. We need to keep in mind that we receive the given virtues of a king and a priest in the format of a guarantee. That is, when a person is born in the family of a king and a priest, he's not yet a king and a priest, but it is a guarantee that he has, it belongs to him. He will become one when he is matured. Same thing here, we receive it in the form of a seed, in the format of a guarantee, a virtue of a king and a priest. That is, in that state when our mind is not yet renewed by the spirit of our mind. And being in such a state, our kingdom and our priesthood 
over our body is not yet established or confirmed. It is given to us, it is given to rule over our body, but it's not yet established, so that in in the virtue of a king to perform judgment and righteousness within the boundaries of your essence and doing so strictly within the boundaries of the law of righteousness, it is necessary to invest the given to us guarantee of justification that was received by us in the format of a seed so that we can grow it into in the good soil of our heart and into the form then of the fruit of righteousness so that we can own it. So that we become righteous in our state as well as in the demonstration of our state, which upon practice then means to know who God is to us in Jesus Christ, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and what we are, who we are to God in Jesus Christ, and what conditions we need to fulfill in the plan of the given judgment of righteousness so that we can inherit all that God has placed upon our account in Christ Jesus. To examine yourself as to whether you are demonstrating the power of brotherly love in your faith, Symbolically in the form of the king of Judah who enclosed himself in cedar, we need to look at the power of our mind that has not yet been renewed by the spirit of our mind. We like this king of Judah. When we come to God, we're born from the seed of the word of truth. Our mind is not yet renewed by the spirit of our mind. It is not yet circumcised. It is not yet bound by the law of God. According to the text we have read, we conclude that the virtue of a king is somehow linked to the house of the king that is built of cedar that he trusts upon and is an argument of his that he knows God and that he presents the judgments and righteousness of God or an argument that he possesses a renewed mind. However, upon the scales of God's justice, this argument and his testimony that the king of Judah relies upon is his deception and turned out to be false. It turns out to be false because he himself enclosed himself with cedar. He built his own house with cedar. We need to ask the question, what do we need to pay attention to when we examine ourselves, when enclosing the house of our king with cedar applied to love to the law of God that we are called to demonstrate in our faith. According to Scripture, cedar is a symbol of righteousness, raising a person and elevating him to the virtue of a king that we need to see as the renewed mind of man. The righteousness shall the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree, he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Psalm 92.12 According to the written word, we conclude that to be enclosed with cedar means to see yourself righteous. However, according to the text, we conclude that to see yourself righteous and at the same time turn your eyes and your heart to your to your greed or covetousness and the shedding of innocent blood, inflicting oppression and force, is to be in serious error. Today we have a numerous number of false charismatic services whereby perverting the truth they enclose people in cedar so that they can pursue the interests of materialistic prosperity. <clears throat> which they achieve by the shedding of innocent blood and violence. And first of all, the shedding of blood and violence when it comes to their inner person who represents the priesthood of God in our essence. This happens when a person receives justification out of the boundaries of the commandments of the Lord, not having changed their old way of thinking, which serves his unchanging interests in the form of popularity, fame, and materialistic riches. At the same time, he he suppresses the desire to possess imperishable wealth within his inner person. 
that is achieved by the renewing of the mind, working in collaboration with his new person, that is created according to God in Christ Jesus, in righteousness and holy truth, identifying God's order. According to our initial text, to have a true confirmation of your love for the love of for the law of God, you can eat and drink. God is not against us eating and drinking, but it is necessary to, with judgment and righteousness, judge the cause of the poor and needy. To eat and drink means to use earthly goods and accept them as a blessing while performing judgment and righteousness, judging the cause of the poor and needy. When a person as a king from the position of his uncircumcised mind does not perform judgment and righteousness when defending the cause of the poor and needy using earthly goods, identified in the phrase eat and drink, they become idol worshippers then for which a person then ends up in hell. Just as in the parable of Christ about the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man ate and drank every day but at the same time did not defend the cause of the poor and needy who was Lazarus who lay at his gate in scabs desiring to fill himself with crumbs that fell, that fell from the table of the rich man and dogs that walked by walked by would lick his scabs relevant to this it is necessary for us to identify the poor and needy whose cause we are called to defend in judgment so that we have evidence of our love for the law of God for the law of God, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith in the power of brotherly love. In Scripture, there are sufficient uh, examples and identifications where poverty and neediness of the born by God's Spirit is a virtue that draws God's mercy by the renewed mind of man, who defends the cause of the poor and needy in judgment by performing intercession before God. When, by the means of our renewed mind, we will defend the cause of the poor and needy in judgment, who is our new person, from our old person by dying by the cross of our Lord Jesus for our nation, the house of our Father, and for our life in the flesh that are supported by organized powers of darkness. All of the special forces of hell will rise against us. That is carnal men, the lawless, the wicked, that are closed in ce- enclosed in cedar. This is when we need to defend the cause of the poor and needy in the form of our new person with a different format of judgment that is contained in righteousness. Defending your justification and your righteousness as the poor and needy before carnal men, the lawless and wicked, upon the basis of the the given law of God. We first, in this way, provide evidence of our love for the law of God. And second, we in the work of our justice will be stumbling will be a stumbling block for these people and will become a snare and a net for them as vengeance from the Lord upon them. Psalm 109, 1 and lower. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, do not keep silent, O God, of my praise, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the, of the deceitful have opened, us, opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. In return for my love, they are my accusers, but I give myself 
to prayer. Thus they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Set a wicked man over him and let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him be found guilty and let her pr- his prayer become sin. Let his days be few and let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let his children continually be va- vagabonds and beg and let them seek their bread also from their desolate places. Let the creditor seize all that he has and let strangers plunder his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy to him, nor let there be any to have favor and favor his fatherless children. Let his prosperity be cut off, and in the generation following, let their name be blotted out. Let the iniquity of his father be remembered before the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be continually before the Lord, let they that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth, because he did not remember to show mercy, but persecuted the poor and needy man, that he might even slay the broken in heart. As he loved cursing, so let it come to him. As he did not delight in blessing, so let it be far from him. As he clothed himself with cursing as with his garments, so let it enter his body like water and like oil into his bones. Let it be to him like the garment which covers him. Let this be the Lord's reward to my accusers, and let those who speak evil against against my person. But you, O Lord, the, are the Lord. Deal with me for your name's sake, because your mercy is good. Deliver me, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I am gone like a shadow when it lengthens. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting, and my flesh is feeble from lack of fatness. I also have become a reproach to them. When they look at me, they shake their heads. Help me, O O Lord my God, O save me according to your mercy, that they may know that this is your hand, that you, Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you bless. When they arise, let them be ashamed, but let your servant rejoice. Let my accusers be clothed with shame, and let them cover themselves with their own disgrace as with a mantle. I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Yes, I will praise him among the multitude, for he shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save him from those who condemn him. Psalm 109, 1-31. An incredible psalm that completely destroys the tolerant form of mentality that God loves everyone the same. No, he shines a sun upon the righteous uh, warming them, giving them life, and with the unrighteous, he burns them. As today, sun is the sun is burning Africa. He pours out his rains in measure and timely for his righteous ones, and the unjust, not timely and not in measure, and they drown in the waters. And understandably, to possess the right for such judgment and prayer, providing God with legitimate grounds to fulfill His will upon planet Earth, it is necessary to walk in the light of the face of the Lord, to know the joyful sound calling us to fulfill His will, defending the cause of the poor and needy in judgment. Because this is our new person, poor and needy, this is His virtue. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. It's the ability when a person can't defend himself. This is the state. A person intentionally becomes this way. He becomes defenseless. And he, in the death of the Lord, Jesus dies dies for any hope upon his abilities, upon his own personal righteousness. He becomes naked. 
he will never defend himself again and that he will allow God to defend him and whatever may happen with him he will understand that God has allowed it and will pray that God protect him in the situation blessed are the people who know the joyful sound they walk O Lord in the light of your countenance in your name they rejoice all day long and in your righteousness they are exalted for you are the glory of their strength and in your favor are born is exalted psalm 89 15 through 17 to walk in the light of the face of the lord to understand the joyful sound of the lord calling us to fulfill his will means to walk in the light that god walks in which will give us the right to have fellowship with the saints to demonstrate brotherly love in our faith And God will, in this brotherly love, cleanse us from all sin. He'll cleanse us from all sin in brotherly love. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1, 6, 7 Being cleansed from all sin is the result of keeping the righteousness of faith and demonstrating brotherly love when confronting the wicked where God will laugh at the wicked seeing how their sword will go into their own heart and their bow will be broken. Psalm 37, 12-15 The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy to slay those who are of upright conduct. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bow shall be broken. In result, holding on to your righteousness that is demonstrated in our faith in the power of brotherly love, we receive the right to utter the mighty acts of the Lord and declare all His praises. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can declare all His praise? Blessed are those who keep justice and he who does righteousness at all times. Psalm 106, 3 These are people who walk in the light that God walks in. God walks in the light of his word. And this means that God, when he spoke his word, he bound himself with his own words. He became a servant of his own words. And now he walks within the boundaries of these words and nothing will be done. He won't do anything out of the boundaries of his truth, his word. Walking in the light that God walks in is walking in the light of the word that we hear by the preached word. This means to bind yourself with that word and to walk within the boundaries of this word, to become helpless or defenseless as the Holy Spirit is, because he shows how defenseless the Holy Spirit is. When it's talking about the Father, this is the symbol of our spirit. This, when the Son of God, this is a symbol of our soul. When it's talking about the Holy Spirit, is a symbol of our body. We have three parts of ourselves, three aspects of ourselves that represent the Godhead. That is, if we are born from the seed of the Word of Truth, God walks in the light of His Word. Where? In the temple of our body. He doesn't walk somewhere, uh, somewhere uh, randomly. He walks. He, be, he behaves and works together with us. If we walk in the light of His Word, then only then does God's promise begin to work. Only then are we able to 
demonstrate the power of brotherly love, and in this power, God begins to cleanse us from all sin. And this doesn't happen in one or two days. This happens not every day, not every hour, not every minute, but every second. As Just like our blood cleanses us inside of our body, every second of every day and brings oxygen into in our into our body and cleanses uh, all kinds of foreign uh, particles from our system from our blood uh, from our system uh, it's the same way with the blood of, of God of Christ it cleanses us from sin every second of every day because we live in the mortal body and this mortal body, corrupt body, demands not what we would like. It demands the opposite of what God wants. And we, in part, are not always able to confront uh, what this desire is and uh, are ashamed of doing it again. But if we walk in the light in which God walks, we will see a big difference that we will be able to count ourselves dead to sin, living for God. Walking in the light is, the Word of God says, count yourself dead to sin, living for God, and proclaim that not-existent stronghold in your body as existent. As a result of holding on to your righteousness that is demonstrated in our faith and the power of brotherly love, God will receive the legitimate grounds to show the nations your righteousness and all the kings of our and all the kings are glory, which is us being the crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of our God. When will we, we will become defenseless and will place ourselves under God's protection. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate, but you shall be called Hafzibah, and your land Beulah, which is one that is betrothed, for the, land, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man married a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And so you will no longer be called desolate. Desolate is sanctification. When we are submerged into the, into the death of the Lord Jesus, when we are not able to defend ourselves and when our faith is being tested for its firmness. But when we rise in the resurrection of Christ, that is when He will be joined with us. He is not conformed with us in His death, but in His resurrection, because resurrection is a joint gladness. As a result of holding on to our righteousness that is demonstrated in our faith and the power of brotherly love, we will receive the power to the right to enter through the pearly gate of the new Jerusalem so we can eat of the fruit of the tree of life or from the fruit of our gentle tongue. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who, he who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am qu- coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to, to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. 
Revelations 22, 11 through 14. We know that the gates of Jerusalem are a gentle tongue of man, and they become this way because they have experienced death. We know that a pearl, this is the pearly gate, is the result of the suffering of a mollusk when a foreign particle enters in and the mollusk is not able to be freed from it, is constantly suffering, suffering, and this suffering produces this nacre that it coats then this foreign particle into. And so this foreign particle is our body that our new person is not able to be freed from. And to be freed from it, it it submerges into the death of Jesus and begins producing this nacre and clothing it, coating it, his mouth is then disciplined by God's word. As God disciplines his own mouth with his own words that he has spoken, we discipline our own tongue with the word of God. Our tongue becomes gentle. This doesn't happen immediately. The tree does not grow in one day. You plant the seed and you water it and say, as a child, then you stand and watch while and ask why it's not growing. You said it's supposed to grow. But you say, son, for this seed to be to grow, you need time. It's the same thing here. You need time to grow the tree of life. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but one that is not restrained is destruction. Summing up the given component, we conclude that the result by which we are called to examine ourselves as to whether we have love for the law of righteousness, where we receive the ability to demonstrate brotherly love in our faith, is called to consist in our royal virtue, which demonstrates itself in performing the judgments of righteousness when defending the case of the poor and needy. And this means that it is not we ourselves that clothe ourselves into uh, enclose ourselves with cedar, but because enclosing yourself with cedar is to evangelize, do good works, practice spiritual gifts. Why? To receive righteousness. But we're not doing this. We have offered ourselves to the Lord so that He clothe us into cedar, into righteousness. That is in the resurrection of Christ. But for uh, him to clothe us into righteousness that is in the resurrection of Christ, it is necessary to pay the appropriate price and die for your nation, the house of your father, and for your destructive desires of the soul, to be submerged into the death of the Lord Jesus, to die for the law by the law. And in this way, come out from the guard of the law and fall under the cover of God's grace. Right now, we will pray and prepare our heart to take part in the great service of communion, the bread and the wine that represents the body of Christ that is broken, and this is body and his blood that we will eat and drink so we may have life in ourselves. And we will prepare our heart for this. Anyone who desires to come up to the altar, we will pray for you so that you can confess your sins, forgive those that you are may have uh, something against that you have uh, anger toward maybe or are upset with and then you will be able to then take of the of the communion and it will bless you then and not curse you it will heal you let's bend our knees our heads and we will pray we wait for you here at the altar
I will be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that God is loves you so much that he has vowed that until he completes his work and will not erect the stronghold of life in your body and will not help you be delivered from your lusts and your passions, he will not be at peace. He does not judge you. He loves you. And his corrections are for the purpose of helping you and become restored in his eyes. Close your eyes. This is your secret room. Lift your hands to God. This is a sign that your hands are without doubt or wrath. Pray together with me, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you. I open up my heart that is wounded by sin, that is wounded by my own passions, by my lusts, by my offenses. I ask you, forgive me, wash me by the blood of your Son, cleanse my heart. I accept your words and the power of your Holy Spirit into my heart as the Lord and Master of my life. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven, and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He look upon you with His great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May upon you the blessings of the ancient mountains and everlasting hills be on you. May this be upon you and your children, and the nation shall say, Amen. Let us sing, God is our love, what great joy it is. God is our love. He has loved us.
Let us listen to the word of God. 1 Corinthians 11:23 and lower. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. First, often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Please be seated. When I was reading these words of the Lord, and we were standing before this word, for some reason I remembered the Russian President Putin One American representative asked him when he came into his house and when they had come into his living room, everything, uh, there was no uh, seats available, no couches or anything. And he said, why do you not have a place where we can sit down? And he, and he responded, what, do you think that before the face of God you can sit? I understand that his understanding, of course, is very skewed and inaccurate, but he understands that in uh, the way that things were placed in his house, he, 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 he's intending for God to be present there, and he has a very, very large uh living room but there's no place to sit you can only stand and so every time he enters he uh, does the formation of the cross and then when he comes out he also has the formation of the cross or does it he did this in Kremlin too when he enters into Kremlin there is an icon there and no one has the right to enter without cross doing the cross formation uh, with their hand uh, and so it, when they go in or out. And so when they saw the military coming in, uh, uh, they do the same thing. They, they, they remove their hats and they do the formation of the cross. And so he has been implementing this too. As the previous kings have in history, he's doing that now too. He's implementing that. He's understood the true presence of God. We know about God's presence, of course, in the accurate way. It's not in, a, in an emotional thing. It's information. We know that God is with us. This is a great uh, privilege to take part in this mystery that connects us to the body of Christ. He said, if 
you will eat of my body and drink my blood, you will have life in yourselves. And those who do not drink will not have, eat or drink will not have life in themselves. I'll ask everyone to stand and we will pray for the bread. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for this bread, for this greatness that's in this bread, for this celebration over death and hell and all illnesses. When it shall be passing by your people and your saints will take part and eat of it, may in their bodies all illness and weakness be cursed. May the works of devil be destroyed in the life of every individual person who takes part in this communion. I thank you for the privilege to know you and to acknowledge your authority, our great God, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It is written that he gave thanks, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you, please be seated. The one, Every person that is approached, please break your own bread, because breaking of your bread is acknowledging the fact that we with our sins crucified Christ. God did not die for the sins of the world, he died for his church. He gave himself for his church to wash her with the pure waters. We are the ones that crucified him. And in this communion, we also see a different angle, humility. When we break, uh, we break ourselves because you can't break Christ without breaking yourself because we are in Jesus and he is in us. And so by breaking his body, we also break ourselves and then God's grace comes. It's a form of humility that's being shown. And so every time when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. This is a surprising opportunity to destroy the enemy within the body. in this holy and holy uh, presence of, of silence uh, in celebration we uh, need to know that we are receiving healing we may not see it physically immediately we are receiving such an amazing medicine that has no side effects and 
that God is vigilant over within the temple of our body that it be fulfilled not in the time we have established but the time that he has established for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes that will bring us to resurrection that will bring us to the point where our body will be clothed into resurrection and in our body the stronghold of life will be erected. This is one of the wonderful moments to be able to eat and meditate about the death of the Lord. This bread is not just Christ, it's we ourselves also. Why is it say not discerning the Lord's body because the bread itself is not just Christ, but all of us. And when we discern the, the Lord's body, how, do you, how are you clothed into Christ? You need to enter. There's a door where you enter, the narrow gate. And this narrow gate is the church, the bride of the Lamb, the good wife. And any, if anyone finds this good wife, they'll enter through the gate. They become also this bread. And this bread is then broken. It's a brokenness, a humility. And you open yourself. You make yourself open to God's wrath. God's wrath was poured out upon the Son, but we at that time were in Christ. And so we experience the the, the glimpses of this wrath. We do experience, but we are in Jesus as in the ark and so as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes discerning the Lord's body this is not Jesus but also us too together with him let us stand up and pray for the cup Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ we thank you for the new cup a cup of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sin when it be, will be passing by your holy people that have received in their heart the oath promise of the fact that you have erected the stronghold of life in their bodies and have clothed their body into your resurrection may this this be confirmation of that and may death be thrown out from their body and may all illness and weakness depart from their body and may your life be glorified in your resurrection in them and through them we worship before the cup of the new covenant and we thank you our great God Son and Holy Spirit Amen please be seated the road that is approached please stand and help one another as you helped one another with the breaking of the bread the cup is Christ one for all the world, for all generations from which we drink. But it's not just Christ, but Christ, that is the head of the body. It's not possible to drink of this cup out of the body of Christ. This is possible only within the body of Christ. He is the head, and we are the body. We. This is discerning the Lord's body, it says. This is that great and glorious brotherly love where we take part and we know we don't base it anything on our emotions when it comes to one another or our sympathies 
or dislikes, we look at look at the law of God. The law of God says, "Do behave this way with your brother. This is how you behave," and your feelings will then follow your decisions. Maybe not immediately, but they will. They will not be able to go anywhere else. We don't need to t- worry uh, uh, about what they do or how they feel. We look at information because we know in whom we have believed. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. the 18th 18th Psalm of David that we have been studying on Fridays where we are being submerged into the depths of our inheritance to the chief musician Psalm of David the servant of the Lord who spoke to the Lord the words of the song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I take re- in, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The pangs of death surrounded me and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. Here it's talking about when we're casting off the old man from from ourselves. We die by the law for the law. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cries, cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him, even to his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and flew he flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness a secret place. His canopy around him was, was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstone and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightning in abundance, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundation of the world were uncovered. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent from above and took me he drew me out of many waters here it's talking about how we will experience the resurrection he delivered me from the strong enemy from those who hated me for they were too strong for me they confronted me in the day of my calamity but the Lord was my support he also brought me out into a broad place he delivered me because he delighted in me if there is anyone that has been accidentally passed by, if not, I will ask everyone to stand <clears throat> and we will proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, 
be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.